Hello and welcome to From God to Us. We're wrapping up our study on election and free will. This is kind of a summary and conclusion of everything that we've talked about so far. So what I'd like to do is review briefly the five different points that we've covered and then draw some kind of conclusion from all of this. If we look at the points of Calvinism, which is where we started and then showed the Armenian side, we begin with total depravity, and we have agreed that the Scripture teaches that man is depraved. Man, that is mankind, cannot save themselves. We cannot save ourselves because we are sinful people. We have sinned against God. We cannot pay the price for our own sins because we're sinful people. We need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior, and he has come into the world to bring salvation to people. So we would agree that Man is totally depraved in the sense that he cannot save himself. He must have a Savior. The difference between the two views is that Calvinism believes that man does not have the capacity to believe in God. He can't believe in God until God regenerates him first with the Holy Spirit, and then he will believe. The problem with this is we cannot find any real scriptural support for that part of it. So in this point, I would conclude man is depraved, but from all we read from Scripture, it seems to be that man has some capacity to believe. He has some capacity for free will, we might say. Free will is simply the ability to make choices. On the next point, election, we do not deny that there are teachings about election in Scripture, but we looked, there's different kinds of election Election sometimes is for service or for ministry. Some people are called the elect, but they're not really saved. There's different uses of the term elect or election, but there does seem to be some type of election by God for those who are saved. Of course, the Armenian says this is according to God's foreknowledge, and there are a couple of passages that seem to support that. But there seems to be more weighty evidence about the fact that there is some kind of election that God has. But the problem we come into this whole part of election is that if God chose people before the foundation of the world to be saved, then he also chose people before the foundation of the world to be lost. And this is a problem for the Calvinists because they don't like to say that. In fact, I talked with someone the other day who said, well, what we like to say is God chose those who are going to be saved and those who are lost are lost because they don't believe. Well, that doesn't work theologically. If you look at John 3.18, which says, He who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Belief, faith, is the issue between salvation and not being saved. Nothing about election there. So either God elects who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost, or God allows people to hear the gospel and by faith to accept or to reject it. You can't really come down in the middle between those biblically or theologically. You have to make a choice. And I believe that all people have a capacity to believe. All people are drawn by Christ. All people are convicted by the Holy Spirit. At some point, a person must receive and accept that gift. Atonement, limited atonement. This is arguably the weakest point of Calvinism. In fact, one person I talked to said, yes, that's the weakest argument. The problem is, is that limited atonement is an argument, not a biblical teaching. 
there are no real passages that teach limited atonement. In fact, there are many people who will call themselves four-point Calvinists primarily because of this point right here. They cannot find justifiable teaching in Scripture that Jesus died only for the sins of the elect. The passages that are attempted to be used to teach that don't really teach limited atonement. So it seems to be that Jesus died to pay for the sins of the world, but it only becomes effective for those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Irresistible grace, or is it resistible? Here again, it's difficult to prove irresistible grace that once God decides to save you, you are going to be saved. You must believe in the other points, total depravity, unconditional election, and limited atonement in order to accept that aspect of it. So if mankind has the ability to believe or not believe, then it must be resistible, if that's what the scriptures are teaching us. And then finally, we look at perseverance of the saints or falling from grace. We do believe in eternal security, if that's what we mean by perseverance of the saints, that a person will be saved. God does the saving. Jesus does the saving. The Holy Spirit does the saving. We don't save ourselves. Therefore, once we are saved and redeemed and born again, we cannot lose that. But is it true that a person will always persevere to the end? We know for a fact that many people struggle with their faith at times. Many people fall into sin even though they are saved. Um, but this doesn't necessarily mean they have lost their salvation. We do not believe that a person can lose their salvation once they have been saved or redeemed. So we look at perseverance of the saints in the sense of eternal salvation, but we don't really know how long a person will persevere. And if a person is in a time of lapse of faith when they die, doesn't not necessarily mean that they never believed. It's just they had fallen away for a period of time, but it doesn't mean they have lost their salvation. We believe in eternal security. So this is kind of a conclusion of the different points. And I would uh, one of the things I would say is that the Bible really doesn't teach Calvinism or Arminianism. Calvinists teach Calvinism. Arminians teach Arminianism. The Bible doesn't really teach either one. And I think this is a point that many Calvinists and, and Arminians would get upset over because they use Scripture to try to support their views. But in the end, some passages are forced in order to make them fit the doctrine of the theology. I go back to the question, what is the Bible teaching us about God? about who he is, about all of his attributes, of his love, his grace, his mercy, his goodness, but also of his holiness, of his righteousness, of his justice, and of his wrath. All these are part of who God is. They're part of his character. They're part of his nature. And trying to understand mankind in light of who God is, quite frankly, is sometimes difficult. God has revealed himself to us through his word and through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ. But we are fallible people. We don't know everything. We will get some things wrong. But we have to take the Bible and attempt to understand each verse within its context and draw the conclusion, what is God teaching us about himself? What does he want us to know? about who he is, about his character, and how people can know him, how people can be saved, how can they have a relationship with him. This is what we must ask ourselves when we're looking at the scriptures. Is God teaching us that he's the God of the Calvinist? Is he teaching us that he's the God of the Armenians? Or is there something else that we see in the scripture?
God hates sin. He did not create us to be sin. Sin came because of the acts of Adam and Eve. And because they became sinners, everyone who descended from them became a sinful person. We commit acts of sin willingly, volitionally, of our own free will. This is a rebellion against God. It causes us to be separated from God. And because of God's justice, we deserve his judgment. But because of his grace and love and mercy, he sent Jesus into the world to provide salvation to all who would believe in him. Again, we talked about the gospel and how important the gospel is. We talked about the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign over all things. He's in control of all things. But he does allow things to happen. He doesn't force people to sin. He doesn't make people sin. He allows sin to happen. We talked about the love of God, that God's love is so great, that he loves mankind, that he would sacrifice his own son for them. The Bible teaches us about these things, about who God is. Ultimately, in the end, you have to do probably some more study in each of these areas to try to decide what you really believe. But I will say that I do not believe that the Bible teaches Calvinism. Calvinists teach Calvinism. The Bible does not teach Armenianism. Armenians teach Armenianism. The Bible teaches us about a God who loves us in spite of our sin and who sent his son Jesus Christ in the world to take our place to die on a cruel cross, to suffer the penalty for sin, to be raised again the third day, and to give everlasting life to all who would believe. When we think about this, we wonder about those who in the world who've never heard, but we talked about Romans 1.18 and following that talks about how people, even though what they knew about God, they rejected. Even though God could be clearly seen through the world and through the universe and through creation, they have rejected that part that they have been revealed about God and have turned away from him. All men have a chance to accept the light that they have received, I believe. Some have not heard the full gospel message, but they have seen and known that there is a God and they have rejected him and chosen to make him into some image or chosen to follow their sexual lust and appetites rather than pursuing the God of heaven, the God who has revealed himself to them. We cannot understand everything. We cannot understand why there are people in the world who've never heard. We can't understand why people sin sometimes the way they do or why God allows so much sin in the world. When we look and see the pain and suffering that's caused in the world, and sometimes we wonder why God has allowed that. Primarily it's because he's given mankind a free will. Sin comes from man. It comes from mankind. It comes from men and women. It comes from people. If God was going to do away with all the sin of the world, he has two choices. To take away all mankind, to eliminate all mankind, or to take away our ability to make choices. If he did the first, then there would be no more humans. If he did the second, we would not be human beings because we were created in the image of God with the ability to make choices. This is what we call free will. Well, I know we haven't covered everything in this study. We haven't covered all the issues, there's plenty of other things that could be dealt with. I hope it's been enough to get you thinking, to look at both sides of the issue, to do a little bit deeper digging and study, uh, to think through your theology. Sometimes people don't think through their theology and what it really means. So I hope that you will do that and come to some good positive conclusions about theology, about who God is, and about what is really important. 
Is it so important that we push our particular brand of theology over everyone else? Or do we need to teach the Word of God and proclaim the gospel to those who are lost? Again, I hope you've enjoyed this series. I hope it's prompted you to do deeper study and hope we'll have other series that will do the same in the future. May God bless you as you continue to study His Word.